Thank you, Akron Alliance Fellowship Orchestra. Amen. Thank you for what you're doing and what you continue to do. Uh, Pastor Gus is traveling. He is on the road. Is he in California? Sacramento. California. Um, we uh, obviously keep him in prayer to keep his legs under him and keep him upright as he moves about. <coughs> Pardon me. I think he'll be fine. I, I just think he's, he's, been, he's actually been getting better and better um, every week. And faith is with him. Okay. And that's, that's, the, uh, that's to make sure that everything is going okay. Um, thank you for turning the lights up. I think that's good. Um, <laughs> having a little bit of light today. Um, given that it is a little bit more dreary outside, but we kind of expected that based on the forecast. Um, I normally take time to go through announcements, but there are so many things in here to read that I'm going to defer to allow you to read those on your own, but I will mention the importance of the prayer requests, to look at the prayer requests that are out there and make sure that you are truly praying for our church, our pastor, our elders. They're all mentioned in the prayer requests, and we pray that you will do that. Um, I, do, I will also mention Alexis Sherman to keep, pray, keep her in prayer as well, too. Um, home from the hospital, but just keep her in prayer. Correct? Everything's... Still moving forward there. And uh, also, too, of course, we already have things set up for Bible study coming up on the 13th of October, um, the online Bible study, and also the Zoom Bible study later this month. And more to come, obviously, as we find ways and opportunities to share with you the greatness, the glory of Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about. That's what it always will be about when it comes to our church. Amen? Okay. I think it's time to go ahead and get into the Word. There's no sense in delaying it any further. We'll do that and be prayerful that the Holy Spirit will do all the speaking. Amen. Father, thank you for this time that you've set aside for us to sit quietly and listen to you speak to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your very presence this morning. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and, of course, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for this new covenant that you've given to us, that it's just a matter of the heart and believing in you and that you cleanse us with your very presence when we ask for forgiveness and you teach us through the Holy Spirit to get better and better as you sanctify us. Thank you for what you're doing and what you continue to do in our lives. Bolster us up, strengthen us, encourage us, and now teach us, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I have a quick question for you, and I just want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about the time when you, for those of you where this qualifies, got saved. Someone had to communicate with you a message of some sort or give you some sort of information or give you some sort of guidance to even go in the direction of knowing that you needed to be saved. That's kind of what this message is about and the importance of us as believers understanding without the message, where would you be? Without the word, how would you know what to do? 
without someone speaking it in your life at some point, at some shape or form. Whether it be a pastor or friends or a group of people perhaps. How would you know? A recent communication that I received gave me a very stark reminder of the importance of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ and where it is possible taking the time to also disciple individuals who make the decision to trust Jesus Christ as Lord. So even where we're talking about salvation, we also need to talk about something else that's very important here too, discipling people after the fact, giving them more information, strengthening them. Your communication may very well be coming directly from the Spirit to speak to one person. I received about a week ago an email from someone who was writing to our church. And it was just addressed to our Gmail address at church. It wasn't a formal greeting. Instead, it was more of a commentary embedded with questions. Now, I'm not going to provide the sender's email address. It was kind of a nondescript email address anyway. Just the text of the email. I'm going to read it for you. It gets right to the point. Why should I believe in your version of Christianity over thousands of others that exist? Because the Bible says so? Your opponents will say the same thing. The Bible can be used to justify almost, if not all, interpretations and versions of Christianity. Every Christian believes that they're right. God is on their side. I must point out, God is in small letter, G-O-D. And if you don't adhere to their interpretation, the punishment is to burn in hell forever. Christians everywhere are all pointing fingers at each other, threatening one another with the prospect of burning in hell forever. That being the case, why should any of us take the Bible and Christianity seriously? That was the letter. Now, when I figured out that this wasn't just a spam letter or something... Uh, but a general complaint about Christianity, not so much about our church, but just the idea of what we represent. And it was coming from a real person. I mulled over this. I stopped what I was doing, because actually I was in the middle of something when this came through. Prayed about it, and then submitted a response. It didn't matter who the person was. But I felt it was important to attempt to answer by addressing all of the writer's points. And as it turns out, if I write a response, it was like four times longer than his email. Amen? I mean, if you're going to give a response, you might as well take the time and look into it and make sure that what you're saying gives good information. Now, this message is going to address some very important points that we need to see about our role as believers in Jesus Christ. And how to communicate God's truth. We do have a role in this. We have a responsibility in this. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the good news. And it's all about proclaiming Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen? That's where it starts. It's all about that. It's not about you. 
You're just the deliverer of the message. Now, going further, we also have to ensure that people who are new or maturing in their faith receive not just our words of encouragement, but helpful words that drive them closer to the Word of God. As you're a believer, the most important thing for you to do is to stay in the Word. And we want to keep encouraging people to stay in the Word and stay in the Word every day. You know, it's really not hard to do that. To stay in the word every day. You've got to make an effort to do it. But it's not hard to do. Once you get into a routine. It's the word of God. Coupled with the teaching. And assistance of the Holy Spirit. That pushes aside one's doubts. And fears. And builds upon understanding God's love. And notice how. Guess what? We had all kinds of opportunities last year and early this year to be in the Word more and more and see God truly working in our lives in ways we probably didn't even see before until now. And yet here we are. What we don't encounter very often when hearing opposition to Christianity are ideas that are well thought out. Now, as much as this email came through. It was thought out a little bit. It wasn't too bad. It gave information based upon how that person was expressing himself. Sometimes it's incoherent. But in this case it wasn't. The letter writer has an impression of Christianity that is largely negative. We got that. And it comes from what I can only interpret. Now again, this is the spirit giving you information as you go through it. I interpret it as negative impressions of the church. And all the behaviors of those people who use the Bible as a tool for justifying certain behaviors. I'm going to point something out that is not a new thing for those who believe they were on the right side of history, for example. But there was a time when a number of Southern Baptists would tout the word of God and also condone the practice of slavery in America. For many of us, we remember how the cult of the people's temple, headed by Jim Jones, used words of the Bible, albeit incorrectly. Jones was a dynamic personality that had tremendous influence in a church in Indianapolis, and then later in California, before heading off to its fateful end in Georgetown, Guyana. What many people don't know was that Jones was a Marxist. His desire was to infiltrate the church. Many people followed the charismatic Jones and believed him under the pretense that he was a qualified minister of the gospel. Well, he really wasn't. So both of these groups now that I just mentioned were operating under the umbrella of Christianity. Christianity. I don't think it's a stretch to see how someone can conclude that there are so many things that dissuade a person from joining a fellowship, going to a church, pursuing it, coming near a church. Many of us know people in our own lives who, for a number of reasons, refuse 
going to church. They won't go. And why? Because what do they see? They see us. They see our behaviors. People who profess to be believers acting like anything but believers. There's a book out by Donald Miller called Blue Like Jazz. That's not a mainstream Christian book. It should be. Because that author tells the truth about who we are as a church. We mess up a lot. We live like the world lives a lot. And a lot of people who are looking at us see those behaviors. So if you are them, why would you come to church? Let's start with some very important truths here. And this is in process of answering the questions of this email. With the understanding that believers are still called by Jesus, in spite of who we are, amen, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, amen. And praise the Lord that God sees us and loves us enough to say, you know what, that is your responsibility. I know who you are, but I also know your heart. Truth number one. We are in a fallen world. Amen. And that's what we need to show other people too. We're in a fallen world. And we sure don't get it right ourselves all the time. Amen? Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Now, you're familiar with the account of when Adam and Eve transgressed against God and uh, Eve bit, bit the apple, Adam did the same thing, and all of a sudden they realized, what? We're naked. Yeah. Yeah. But I want you to see something here that's very indicative of our fallen state in the world because of the description that takes place here in God's encounter with Adam. Verse 17, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And to the man, who is Adam, he, who is God, said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Now, in my mind, of all the passages you read about what happens, of course, you know, Eve was told you're going to have pain through childbirth and all that stuff, and that's no fun at all, of course. But the bottom line is that we're in a fallen state. We have to, we we no longer could just get food from the tree and just start eating it. We had to work it now. We had to till the ground to grow it. 
From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were opened to the reality that their world was forever changed. This world, subject to man's sinful nature and degradation, requires intercession from God, who knew before man was created we needed a Savior. Praise the Lord. He knew exactly what we needed because he knew we were going to mess it up. And we mess it up daily. If it were not for his love and grace and forgiveness and caring nature, where would we be? Second point, another truth. Our words can provide comfort and encouragement, but they can't save anyone. We can provide comfort, encouragement, help someone along when it comes to speaking to them, but those words can't save a soul. Flip over to Romans chapter 10. I'd like you to look at verse 8. I'm actually going to ask you to look at verse 8b, which is kind of an interesting cutoff there. Romans 10, verse 8b, and all the way through to verse 10. For those of you who are familiar with the term Romans Road, you'll know that this passage is, in, uh, is part of the Romans Road when it comes to helping someone about salvation. And I'm going to make a point about that because it's deliberately coming from Romans Road, but the words are very encouraging. Let's look at it. Verse, uh, chapter 10, Romans 10, verse 8. And pick up in the middle of verse 8 and read at verse uh, the second part of it. The message is very close at hand. And it is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's very encouraging, amen? Verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, that's the word being spoken to someone. But notice that the message heard must be met with faith and believing the truth of the power of salvation provided by Jesus. It's got to be met with faith. The words are encouraging, but now it still comes down to the other person saying, yes, I believe that. The third truth. The Holy Spirit must be the closer. The Holy Spirit must be the closer. For those of you who have been in sales, you know the terminology, right, in sales about someone pitching a product to you, but now there's a certain phraseology that that salesman has to close the sale and get the buyer to sign on the dotted line and make a commitment to make a purchase or whatever it is. Whatever it is. The Holy Spirit has to be the closer. Go to John 14, 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. 
And we should be very, very thankful that in God's plan, the Holy Spirit was heavy duty in the mix. When Jesus spoke here in John chapter 14, he's making that very clear to us. John 14, 26. I am reading from the New American Standard Bible version. I like the way this was represented here. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I had said to you. The Holy Spirit's teachings, they're teaching all things about believing in Jesus from the very first moment. When you heard, the Spirit had to do what? Tap you. From the very first moment when you acknowledge Jesus as Lord and it continues throughout your life, as he reminds you of his words of truth and guidance, the Spirit is so important. He is the closer. These three truths require all believers to do First, have the hearts and minds to pray for God to intercede. And, number two, to compel a non-believer to make their own choice as to believing in Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. Notice how I mention that often. Believing in Jesus Christ is not enough. He has to be your personal Lord of your life. He has to be acknowledged as the one you need to acknowledge to take care of all sin in your life. He has to be your Savior. Believing is not enough. It comes to that extra step of living for Christ. You'll hear me say that often. I always add that in my text because people make assumptions that just believing, believing that Jesus exists is sufficient. No, it's who is Jesus? And how does he relate to you? Because that's how your faith grows. When you take that step. Yes, all it takes is to believe in, but believe in who? Jesus Christ the prophet or Jesus Christ Lord and Savior? It still remains the choice, though, of the hearer to believe or not to believe. For this reason, we're to remain in prayer for everyone that comes to mind who does not know Jesus. You probably have a checklist of people in your life who don't know Jesus. More on this later. Note that the writer of the email already has a negative impression of Christianity and supports it with complaints from observations, perceptions, and behaviors of Christians. Let's look at these complaints and prayerfully address them in love. Amen? Remember, we're looking at one of a number of ways we can respond to a person. There's, dumb, no, there's always a number of ways to respond to somebody. Either, either verbally or in letter form. But any response must be done with, number one, prayerful consideration. Prayerful consideration. How important is it for you to pray sometimes before you open your mouth? Amen? Prayerful consideration. And being mindful that, secondly, our words may or may not be accepted. 50-50, isn't it? They may or may not be accepted. 
but the end result of all discussions or conversations are always to be left under the authority, the teaching, and the timing of the Holy Spirit. The timing of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes get in the way of his timing because we don't know what it is. Let him take care of that department. Hey, there have been folks you've been praying for all your life. But it's still in his timing. I'm not going to bore you with my entire response to this email, but I am going to give you some highlights as a way to help move you to the understanding that any response that you give to one's questions needs to remain truthful without being confrontational. You get that? Truthful without being confrontational. I understand something. An email like that that we got was somewhat confrontational. But not even about our church or us individuals. It was a general comment about Christianity. Like, why are we Christians in the first place? What's the big deal? But we don't need to be confrontational in our response. Know something else, too. This, this might be a little touchy. So bear with me here. I don't mind getting touchy every now and then because sometimes that shakes you up a little bit. Also understand that not everybody you speak to, including people who proclaim themselves to be believers, will be sincere in their own communication with you. Just because someone says they're a believer doesn't mean that they're on the up and up. I know that's a really hard thing to say sometimes, but what did we just get through saying before? Look at us. Look at our fleshliness. Wasn't that long ago we were exposed to people in our own church that were very fleshly. They're not here anymore. Praise the Lord. I said it. I'm telling the truth. Doesn't matter what their motivation is. All that you need to do is respond with grace and humility. And in any encounter, in any encounter we have, and always stand for truth. And then like most of us, you go home, or like Elaine might go home and start, you know, hitting stuff or whatever it is, in spite of all that, because of the craziness that she encounters all the time. Amen, Elaine? <laughs> that was more of a mmm. <laughs> but in your encounter with someone else, have grace, be nice. Pray for them. Leave it where it is and leave your feelings out of it. Leave your feelings out of it. Jesus describes how he instructed his disciples to respond when they encountered opposition. Take a look at Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see this example here. And I want you to understand where it comes from. Because I think we need to see that a lot of things that were being said were being said in context pertaining to how societal norms were taking place even then. Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. I'm also going to read this from the NLT, but I, I want you to see this is a very interesting part of what Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples. He was giving them information 
And he was doing it deliberately, knowing that many of the people that he was interacting with were Jews themselves. And now they're going to be going into Jewish settlements. Check this out. Verse 11, whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. Verse 14, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. Now, let's look at this in the context that it's written and why this is important. What Jesus is talking about here refers to how Jews would behave during that period. Remember, there was always a conflict between who? Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. And basically what this was doing was that they would literally shake the dust from their feet to dissociate themselves, disassociate themselves with the unbelieving Gentiles and show disdain for their practices. Those Gentiles. And understand something, the Jews were doing it based upon their belief that what they were doing was righteous. And the Gentiles were just all over the place, but they weren't following the Lord, or they were pagans or whatever. Now, when he mentions the same thing to his disciples as they were visiting Jewish towns, this would reflect how disciples should act when they encountered Jews rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, they were out to do what? Preach the gospel. They were proclaiming the goodness of Jesus Christ while Jesus was around, believing in him. And it was a somewhat harsh but definitive gesture to show these Jews, well, if you're not going to accept this message, we're going to shake the dust off our feet and move on and go somewhere else. That's like back in the Jews' face. But it showed that they, those ones who did not believe, were making the wrong decision. It was a definitive way of saying, you're making the wrong decision. The Jews were being shown that it was no longer about following the old laws. Rather, it was all about making a choice to follow Jesus. Remember that accepting Jesus Christ is all about making the right choice. It comes down to making the right decision. I wouldn't expect anyone here to shake dust off your feet after you have a negative encounter with someone when you're witnessing or even discipling someone. Because remember, we don't make any assumptions here. Amen? We don't make any assumptions. Your heart and mind should always be in prayer that the Holy Spirit is going to do what's necessary to have that person who gave you this negative response come around and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. All it takes is to just believe, but believe in who Jesus is, who he really is. Many are so close and are yet so far from doing so. 
take a moment right now in this quietness and consider those people who you know that are on the fence about their faith or honestly way out in left field somewhere, but they need to see the truth about Jesus Christ. Think about those people right now. You know what to do. Pray for them. Pray for them daily. Write them down in your bulletins. Keep them on your heart. Let's get back to the letter. I first addressed the comment about the different versions of Christianity. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of different versions of Christianity, if you really think about it, in the form of what? Denominations. The different denominations. I looked it up just to check and see if the numbers from when we taught church history were still in effect. We still have the standing number of congregations worldwide, Christian congregations, denominations, 33,000. 33,000 different Christian denominations. not hard to see why if you look at the conflict that's taken place over the years with the church it's not hard to see why we have 33,000 denominations so we have to acknowledge a very important truth if we don't get our way sometimes we sin we have a fallen world that we're living in and that's why we've got 33,000 different Christian denominations That's a hard truth, but it is true. The people of the church, even with the best of intentions, are imperfect. And even though God allows a lot, it's still imperfect. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. No matter what we do within a church, we still fall short. And even though we are the bride, the church is the bride of Christ, it's readily acknowledged, and if you look in Scripture, that bride is imperfect. And has been for pretty much its entire existence. So in answering the writer, I noted that it is not the church who provides justification who is right for anybody's faith. The church doesn't justify that. The church acknowledges a lot of things. We go through a process in our denomination about making sure that someone is qualified to preach. But even that's not a perfect process. We also note that the church is not, does not provide justification. It's still an individual's choice as to what they believe. A person who attends church may say that the church is sufficient, but it still doesn't mean that the church is at the for, that Jesus is at the forefront. The church is not more important than Jesus Christ, is what I'm trying to say. Personal agendas, church corporatism, always get in the way of Jesus. Always. That's an unequivocal statement. Personal agendas and church corporatism always get in the way of Jesus. We're not a corporation. 
We shouldn't be operating as a corporation. We have laws that we have to abide by. Amen? 501c3 stuff, okay? We still have to file as a church according to the U.S. government to be able to have tax-exempt status. That's part of it. Now, that's even being chipped away at a little bit here and there, but the bottom line is that we have to still operate in this world in a certain way. But from a heart perspective, we should not be a corporation. It's Jesus. If you're more concerned about church polity, polity, than the one who sits on the throne of grace, then you're just being more sensitive to your flesh and our sinful nature over spirit. Take your agendas somewhere else. Take them somewhere else. The focus of the church must always reflect the will of Jesus Christ, his life on earth, and his deity. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension. His deity. Now, as I read Romans 3.23, I also noted the verses that follow Romans 3.23 can be used within an answer you want to give someone if you're speaking to someone who needs reinforcement of what Jesus does for every believer in him. Now look at Romans 3.24. I didn't tell you to turn earlier, but go to Romans, Romans chapter 3. Let's look at verses 24 through 26. Romans 3, verses 24 through 26. Verse 24. This is NLT version. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. Amen. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Verse 25, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Look at all the key words in here that are being given. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. What does that imply? Jesus Christ is the reason we all have eternal life and salvation. Past, present, and future. Verse 26, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. What a powerful statement. We are completely dependent upon Jesus Christ for any semblance of righteousness. Any image of righteousness. And that righteousness is before God. And it's only possible because of his grace, because of his sacrifice for us, because of what he did on the cross for us. Amen and amen. Now I address, uh, next I address the writer's comments about the Bible. All right, what is the purpose of the Bible? It is, of course, one of the most important ways that God reveals himself to us. Amen? The Bible. 
reveals himself, if you want to even go further, to those who choose to believe in him. Because those who don't believe, the Bible is all gibberish. The Bible is all storytelling. The Bible is all fables. The Bible is all this and that. Never mind that it's part of history. That's a convenient fact a lot of people want to choose to ignore. History. The Bible has a number of different versions out there, but essentially it says the same message that's used by every mainstream Christian denomination. It doesn't justify any denomination over another, and it certainly doesn't endorse another religion over another. The simple reason for this is that the words in Scripture do what? Reveal the importance of a believer's relationship with God. And more specifically, with that of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Relationship. Focus on the word relationship with these examples. First of all, the very first church in Acts chapter 2 did not convey a religion. It didn't convey a denomination. They were simply people who loved the Lord and wanted to follow him. Go to Acts chapter 2. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we're going to look at this and see exactly one of the examples of a prototype church. When we look at this and understand something, too, I'm going to make a quick comment here. A lot of people will try to take this as a way for justification of certain ways of living like socialism. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. I'm telling you right now, don't fall for that. A lot of people talk a lot of junk when it comes to Scripture. And remember what I said about personal agendas. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let's start there. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Wouldn't you like every person in a church to be in awe of what's happening when everybody gets together in true faith and fellowship? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now what are we looking at here? The people gathered together. They spent time in worship. They spent time in prayer. And they helped others who were in need. That's the church. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. This is the prototype of the church that Jesus loves. That's what he wants to see in a church. This wasn't a religion. It was a relationship between the people and Jesus. They merely responded to Jesus, blessing them, showing them signs and wonders, all the things that were taking place. They were in his will. They were being encouraged to keep it going, and they did. They showed us the right example 
for a church. This reminded me of the church in Philadelphia as described in Revelation. Go to Revelation 3. I want you to look at this particular passage in Revelation, and I want you to see some key words that are going to come out as we look at it. And remember, there were other parts in Revelation where it talked about churches too. It said, yeah, I know your works. I know what you've been doing. But you need to get your act together. So this particular example is showing us what it means, what it truly means to be faithful. Revelation 3, verse 7. Read with me, please. It's also English Standard Version. I'm going to motor through it here a little bit. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your Now, note that Jesus refers to this church as the one with little power. But note that this was a great church in his eyes. He loved the people of that church because they remained faithful. He loved their faithfulness. He loved their steadfastness. And they were assured of having a covering or would not have to bear the hardship of the coming of the trial. Did you see that? He did mention that. What a wonderful relationship to have with our Lord. Small sidebar here. Small churches of people who love the Lord are mighty churches in his kingdom. Sometimes we see these huge ministries out there with gargantuan numbers of people filling up stadiums. Well, you know what? God loves small churches. He really does. Remember, the bigger you get, sometimes the more corporate you get. And that's not meant to be a slam on anybody, any particular church. But the reality is, if you've got thousands of people to manage, it gets kind of corporate. God sustains, sustains us from moment to moment. He loves those who he has claimed for himself. And he's claimed to any believer. You're his child. The writer of the email finally uses the phrase, burn in hell forever, not once, but twice, by the way. Because it's off-putting, of course, for most people who don't believe to consider some sort of a punishment. It seems contrary to the concept of a loving God. And I answered this where I think many of us need to go when we look at God's final judgment. You know what? I, I recognize that hellfire is mentioned. We all recognize that, right? Because they're seeing it. 
But what's really worse? Let's ask the question. Hellfire is the consequence of a person who denies their own creator. You're denying your own creator. You're denying the Lord. You've made a decision you don't need the Lord. But what's worse? When you fail to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, the worst part is a person created in the image of God would be eternally separated from any fellowship with him. That is the worst. No fellowship. No fellowship with your own creator. That's worse, in my opinion. Now, if you want to go into the study further and dig deeper and look into that, but imagine how it is when you're separated from your parents when you were young. Imagine how the fear creeps in when the parent loses track of a child. It's the great unknown, isn't it? Finally, the writer asks, why should any of us take the Bible and Christianity seriously? Well, hey, without being flippant in my answer, I humbly and respectfully state that it's your choice whether you want to take it seriously or not. That's your decision. I can't make you do anything you don't want to do, and I'm not going to try to. That's up to the person. This is why I say leave your feelings out of it, because it's not rejecting you, it's rejecting the Lord himself. Now, with that said, your immediate response, if you hear a question like this, would be to simply say, say to that person, you're going to pray for him. Now, what if the person responds and says, I don't need your prayers? You can say, I understand, but God desires for you to have a wonderful and fulfilling relationship with him, and I want the same for you as well. Because you do. Because that's in your heart. That's a sincere statement. You want to see that person saved. No confrontation. Merely communication of care and concern. It's necessary when sharing the truth in love. Hey, today more than ever, we just need to speak the truth. Speak the truth. Just speak up. But speak the words of truth from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you what you need. Remember, it's his business about who gets saved. He's the closer. But you need to speak. Remember, without the word, who's going to believe? Without the word, how did you believe? Speak and share with humility. Speak and share with empathy. Speak and share in love and with the heart and mind of Jesus. Be a witness for Jesus and be a disciple for Jesus. With the knowledge we're about to go forth and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that everyone within the sound of my voice takes their faith to the next level and speaks with the power and foundation of the Holy Spirit to those who need to hear his truth. Let's remain faithful as the very first church did. Let's live in the manner of the church in Philadelphia. 
in these days and times with Jesus on our side, we have nothing to lose here and everything to gain. There's nothing to lose. The Holy Spirit is going to provide strength as you move along. Let's get after it. Stay the course. Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for how you encourage us with your word. We thank you for your presence, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now. Lord, we want to honor you and glorify you. Give us strength. Give us the ability to speak your truth before others who just don't want to hear truth. But Lord, we recognize that you have the desire to see every person get saved. We leave that responsibility to you. But Lord, we want to fulfill our responsibility to speak the truth in the gospel. Speak the words as mentioned in Matthew 28. Going into all the world and preaching the gospel. We want to do that very thing now, Lord. And we want to do it in power and in your authority. And we thank you for teaching us the importance of church and fellowship. And not moving forward in our flesh, but with our hearts and desires to be obedient to you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your healing. Not just physically, but spiritually. Lord, you're worthy to be praised. And just, we just want to thank you and give you that praise. Give us the mindset, Lord, to go forward and to speak your truth. What have we got to lose? We have everything in you. We should fear what no man does to us. Never fear someone who can not just kill the body, but kill the soul. Lord, we know that our souls are protected through you. And we thank you for that truth too. Lord, bless us and keep us now. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.